All right, folks, welcome into Behind the Yellow Line. It is February 1st, which means we've got Cubs baseball coming up this month. Uh, not a whole lot in terms of hot news with the team right now. It's been sort of quiet in terms of transactions, but a World Series hero is coming home, so we've got some thoughts on that. A little bit more on top 100 prospects. A little bit also on that minor league team rebrand that we touched on last week and then some odds and ends across baseball. But I think the big story, guys, here with the Cubs right now, uh, big news with the organization today, a World Series hero, Dexter Fowler, announces his retirement and then says he's coming back to the Cubs to work at Marquee Sports Network. So really a great day and wonderful to see Fowler back in the org. Well, Dex is really good at showing up in places where – you don't expect him. He announces his retirement yesterday. He uh, confirms, or Marquis confirms that he's joining as an analyst today, and he makes his his uh, on-camera debut tonight. Now, I'm sure it didn't come together that quickly. I'm sure uh, all the parties were in contact prior to him announcing his retirement, but just like he showed up at spring training in 2016, he announces his retirement and then shows up in Chicago at the Marquis Studios to start his media career. But uh, great to see Dex again. I think it's pretty cool, and uh, I'm I'm excited for it. I like having, uh, you know, Dexter, you know, being a fan favorite. He's got the smile. We all loved Dexter when he was in Chicago. So now seeing him on the broadcast, I think I think and I caught a little bit of him today. I thought he was actually just from the brief bits. I thought pretty good, and I think he brings like an energy to the broadcast. Not that it's not energetic, because we all know Cole Wright can get up there. But uh, I, I think that Dex will work out very well there. And and I like that. I like, you know, a guy coming back to the team where he won a World Series and just bringing having more connections to that 2016 team around. I think that's a good thing for uh, the organization. And I, I'm I'm very excited about it. I, I think Dexter is going to be a, a cool addition to the broadcast. I hope he's around a lot. And, uh, you know, uh, people say Dexter Fowler was only a Cub for two seasons. He played for other teams a lot longer. He ain't signing on to do TV for no Cardinals broadcast. That's all I'm going to say. He knows where he won his ring. He knows where he's most loved. I'd say a lot of fans probably don't realize a 14-year career for Dexter Fowler, a long time here in Colorado, get things started. The two cities that I don't think of him the most in is Houston and certainly Anaheim. Of course, he was traded from Houston to the Cubs. But if you're going to be with the Cubs for two seasons, 2015 and 2016 is about the right way to do it. And he was not just an important part of that roster. He was critical to their success. And how special was it? Spring training 2016. There's a lot about 2015 we'll talk about with Dex. But 2016, everybody thinks he's going to Baltimore. The team's already in Mesa. Everybody's lined up out there. And then Dexter walks right back out and says, hey, you know what? Let's come back and do this one more time. We've got unfinished business. That moment in spring training was one of those moments in a very magical year that just really got things rolling. And the joy that his teammates had of him coming back really was telling. I remember that morning like it was yesterday. I remember they traded Chris Coughlin that same morning, and we were all wondering, uh, you know, why did why did you ditch an outfielder? Why did you um, – yeah, yes, they, they did trade him. They did trade him that morning. Learning why did they get rid of an outfielder? You know, why did uh, – you know, why, why put yourself one short? And then Dexter Fowler, who we all thought was signing with Baltimore, he walks out there on the field, and he says, you all thought this shit was over. I won't say the, the rest of the word. But, yeah, I remember that morning like it was yesterday. Nobody knew what was going on. It was crazy. It was awesome. And that's, that's kind of how Dex's time here was. It was crazy, and it was awesome, 2015 and 2016. 
it was a it was a, a very fun day and it was almost kind of like a spark to that spring training we all knew how special that year was going to be and then have dexter come back was incredible and you know it was a good lesson for everyone and we learned that more this offseason about you know a deal's not a done until it's officially announced because that that deal was reported you know all you know pending physical whatever uh, he was going to baltimore and then he, he showed up as a cub and he showed up that day and i, I always enjoy that because the guy that we all talked about, you know, Jason Hayward as being like the one that was coming in, taking an outfield spot, getting the big bucks. He was like the first guy to give him a giant hug, you know, two Georgia dudes that go way back uh, and, you know, good friends. Also two really big guys because people don't realize Dexter's like six foot five. He's a big dude. Um, and so, like, I thought he gave him that huge hug. And I believe it was a Rossi. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Who was who was like, I think his reaction was like, oh, why are you here? Like, if you signed with Baltimore or something like that. Like, it's like what are you doing here? He didn't put it together that Dexter was returning. He still thought Dexter was like signed and a way to go, even though he was talking to him. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, and those two will be around the team this year. So, yeah, a great day. And uh, uh, Dexter, obviously, the game seven homer on like you know and just that whole year having an all-star year a huge run of that 2016 team that signing was huge like we were all prepared yeah. to be a great team but to get dexter back he was a huge part of that winning champ, uh, team but before the cubs re-signed dexter fowler to that one-year contract they were actually working on having javi play center field he had been playing the outfield in winter ball he was actually going to get a lot of the center field reps before fowler came back and again, this is that this one surprise signing that basically changed the course of Cubs history. Well, the thing, too, that Dexter brought in, and again, it was just two seasons, and statistically he had his best year in his career in 2016, 4.1 F4. But something that he did that I don't think I have seen in my lifetime as a Cub fan, and I welcome either of you to tell me I'm wrong here on this or point out the player that I'm omitting right now, before or since, have the Cubs had that solid leadoff hitter, that guy that goes first, gets on base, he had a 400 on base percentage in 2016. The Cubs have had guys for half of a season, like Kenny Lofton in 03, but there was no guy that is at the top of the order, that's his job, and he's very good at it, like Dexter, that I can think of in my lifetime watching games from the 90s through to today. And it's really something that has been missing since his departure after the World Series. Yeah, you know, I don't think you're I don't think you're wrong one bit. The only other guy who comes to mind really is Kosuke Fukudome, who ended the 2008 season, of course, a division winning season with a 359 on base percentage, doing a lot of hitting out of the leadoff spot. But no, I don't think it's coincidence that since Fowler left in free agency, that the Cubs haven't really had that everyday leadoff hitter that rock atop the lineup, and they haven't quite enjoyed the same level of success. And I'm not saying the two are directly correlated on a one-to-one -one basis but i don't think there's no correlation either yeah i, I was going to mention myself like kind of often before you mentioned it but you know as a guy that and you're right he was only here for kind of that stretch run into the playoffs in 2003 but he was he was pretty uh pivotal just from off the top of my head of thinking of a guy yeah he had a 381 on base percentage for the cubs just that second half of the season so uh but you're right dexter fowler that whole 2016 season was was a beast and he got off to a slow start if you remember in 2015 he had that huge homer in 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 colorado early on but he was not really doing all that great that first half and i i remember being a fan of him and, and there were fans that were really down on him who no, and some fans that were like you know he was a switch hitter he was struggling um, you know, wanting to give a pinning from one side. And then that second half of 2015, he just kind of turned it on through 2016. And the team, and, you know, they say, you go, we go. 
you really look at that team really turned that corner like in the second half of 2015. Yeah, they were a good team pretty much for that first half, but the second half they were a great team and kind of was that starting point. And a huge part of that was Dexter Fowler like just becoming that leadoff hitter, that all-star kind of caliber uh, player, that catalyst off the top. And like even in that that game against Pittsburgh in 2015, he was a huge pivotal uh, part of that game. He got on base early, he hit home run. And so that was kind of the catalyst and it was all with Dexter Fowler just becoming that guy. And I, I he, I'm very happy he's back uh, around the club because to me, he will always be one of the most important parts of that World Series championship. So I'm happy that he's like, because, you know, five years in St. Louis and only two years in the Cubs. I like that he's he's a Cub. He's a Cub. We all know he's he, a Cub. He's a Cub. He knows where he's loved. Jeremy, you mentioned that big home run he hit in Colorado early in the 2015 season. Who is that home run off of, of course? Oh, yeah. Your boy. Yep. Randall's boy, Latroy. Well, I, I wasn't going to describe him that way. But, yes, of course, former Cub, embattled former Cub closer, Latroy Hawkins. So time truly is a flat circle. That was really satisfying, too. Obviously, for him going back to Colorado, it was the Sunday of opening weekend for the Rockies that year. The Cubs dropped the first game. They won game two. They were down a couple of runs. That home run that he hit, in fact, that Sunday was with two outs. So just a monumental, hey, welcome to the Cubs. Maybe a middle finger to Dick Monfort there with that home run as well. But that was like the, all right, hey, maybe there's something going on here. He had 17 home runs. For the Cubs in 2015. So to get that out of the leadoff spot out of center field, just remarkable. And and certainly not just the talent on the field, just love, beloved by his teammates, loved by fans. You can't not love Dexter Fowler. So I agree with you, Jeremy. It's just great that he's back around the team. And how fun is it going to be when he's breaking down Pete Crow Armstrong? It's going to be satisfying. I hope, I hope so. And Brennan Davis. And and that was an O2. I believe that was an O2 count when he hit that home run which is even a crazier, a bomb, yeah. a crush bomb, 0-2 count, two outs. Cubs were down one. It was a two-run homer, I believe, put him ahead. They won the game. Just a, a great moment. And I just one more thing I want to talk about Dexter for me is the fact that when they acquired him, one of the kind of things was, well, he's not a great center fielder, you know. But he came here. They kind of, The Cubs kind of worked with him, played him a little bit deeper at, at Wrigley Field, and he was a pretty solid center fielder. And it helped. They had really good defensive players around him, too. Jason Hayward, obviously, in 2016. But – I, I, he never really, I, he did have that kind of annoying kind of halfway catch, you know, not really, but he never really seemed like he was really that bad in center field. So I was pretty impressed by him. And, and as you said, like, uh, just a great, seemingly, seemingly a great guy and a, a great to have around back again in the organization. Yeah. In the, the 2016 NLCS, he made a pair of diving catches behind John Lester in that game one in that game one game, Lester, you know, they interviewed him at some point in that series. And he said, you know, it's easy to pitch when you've got the 85 bears playing defense behind you. There, there would not have been the 200 wins across two seasons, including two NLCS appearances, a pennant in a world series. There would not have been any of that. We would not be talking about the most prosperous two seasons in Cubs history without Dexter Fowler. Just, just a move that, that resonates throughout the ages for a guy who was only here for two seasons. We mentioned his first home run as a Cub, the one in Denver at the start of 2015. His last home run as a Cub in Game 7 of the World Series. But leadoff home run on the road, Game 7 of the World Series. The welcome back to the team in 2016. So we've hit some big milestones. Any other specific memories or great memories that we have of Dexter Fowler that we want to celebrate here tonight? 
for me, I, I and I mentioned it a little bit earlier. I mean, the Colorado one was also a, a huge one but also him hitting a home run in in game one sixty three against. I guess it wasn't game one sixty three; it was the wild card game. But against Pittsburgh, he had a huge game in Pittsburgh, and we all remember the Schwarber stuff and, and Arietta being dominant. Yeah. But Dexter Fowler was a huge part of that. He set the table early on. He got driven in by Schwarber, I believe, He in the first inning. So the Cubs were up ahead. And so to me, that game in Pittsburgh, like Dexter Fowler was a huge part of that. And that's kind of the game I always kind of think of as well with Dexter, besides the Game 7 and and the Colorado game. And we know all those things. For me, it was that 163 or wildcard game. Yeah, you know, there, there's so many, so many things we could pick out about Dexter. We've hit all the great notes. What I remember is that uh, when he was rehabbing in South Bend uh, during the 2016 season, you know, it's it's tradition that the rehabbing major leaguer uh, springs for a really nice food spread for the minor leaguers, and it might be the best meal they get all month, or at least at that time, that was the case. Uh, Dexter Fowler, he sprang for the, the Ruth's Chris Steakhouse spread for the South Bend Clubhouse, and he made sure that they had uh, steak for the protein, steak and chicken for the protein. He made sure that they had salad for the vegetables, that they had bread for the grain. He made sure that those minor leaguers got a full and nutritious spread so that they could take care of themselves. Uh, the minor leaguers certainly shouldn't be dependent upon rehabbing major leaguers for the best meal they're going to get all month, all season. But Dexter Fowler, he took care of those minor leaguers. That's one of my favorite traditions, and Dex did it right. Three for four. Well, happy. Yeah, we're happy to have Dexter back around the Cubs. Jeremy, you said you saw him on Marquee tonight. I don't get Marquee as a Denver resident until games start happening again, but I am looking forward to seeing. I imagine just based on everything I've seen up to this point, he probably has a lot of charisma, well-spoken. It'll be fun to watch him in there, especially as he settles into the role. But um, I'm more looking forward to it when there's games and there's action going on and there's things to break down instead of what's been a pretty quiet week or so for the Cubs otherwise. I also want to take this moment super quickly just to say the man the Cubs traded for Dexter Fowler, he's a beloved Cub, I think. I loved him in a Cubs uniform. Luis Felbuena, we lost him a couple of years ago, a, a terrible car accident. He died back in 2018. Uh, but that was a guy before the Cubs got good who was a bit of a fan favorite at Wrigley, hit some big home runs in his time from 2012 to 2014. And it's just sad to me, right, that unfortunately how things have played out for him, um, but certainly a Cub that I've got fond memories of from otherwise dark years. I always remember Valbuena. I, I think he had a crazy bat flip always. I just, he was just like a fun guy to watch. And it's, it's sad what how it happened, you know. And we've lost a lot of guys that way in the Dominican uh, over the you know past few years, over the past decade. Um, and so that that's pretty sad in and of itself. But um, but yeah, he was kind of a guy that they picked. They kind of called up like they claimed on waivers, and they brought him up, and he, he did his job, and he played pretty well, and they were able to parlay him into into Dexter Fowler, which was a huge part of the team. So Luis Valbuena, definitely a guy that kind of deserves recognition as a yeah. you know a way to get to that championship team. We three collectively were definitely sitting in a bar in or near normal watching Luis Valbuena hit home runs against the Cardinals in a Saturday night game. So uh, Luis Valbuena, may he rest in peace. Yeah, totally. Um, let's go back to prospects here. It's something we've been talking about the last few weeks. There's so much attention on the future of the Cubs here. And as we get closer to the start of spring training, top prospect lists are coming out. MLB.com released their list. ESPN's put out their list. Keith Law has put out his list. The one unanimous Everybody says Pete Crow Armstrong is the Cubs' top prospect, generally falling in the mid to high 20s. We've seen that from, again, Keith Law, MLB.com, Baseball Prospectus. So very exciting there. But some of the other names 
that have popped up, not just Kevin Alcantara and Brennan Davis. What has caught your eye in the last couple of days and some of those other Cubs prospects that are now popping up in top 100 lists? Well, for me, I was pretty surprised to see Jordan Wicks on ESPN's list, uh, Kylie McDaniel's list, uh, coming at number 51, which is right in the mid, you know, right in the mid there. So uh, it's nice to see. And it seemed to be, you know, not really quite a performance based uh, when Kylie McDaniel was kind of looking at stuff as, as well. And it's nice to see, you know, Jordan Wicks getting some recognition and the Cubs having a pitching prospect that someone thinks is a, is a almost pretty much a top 50 prospect in the, in all of baseball. So I, that one really caught my eye. I think all the other names um, we all kind of, you know, have thought about, but Jordan Wicks, and it is interesting to me to see like all the different names because you could argue that the Cubs, you know, really have like six guys that you could be considered or even more a uh, top 100 prospects. So um, that, that was just the one name for me that I, that caught my eye. And Jeremy, that's exactly where I went as well. We've been talking about the positional side of the the prospect rankings. Uh, he's the first Cubs pitcher of any kind to show up on any of these lists, and that that's encouraging. And I, I believe Kylie McDaniel cited what he felt was increased velocity on the part of Wicks, and we know about the repertoire. We know about the devastating changeup. Uh, you know, he's projecting Wicks as a potential kind of mid-rotation guy, and for a guy who doesn't necessarily throw that hard, that I think is – uh, I think that's promising. So I, I do like that this is the first, and I don't love that it's the only, but I do like that this is the first pitcher to show up on any of these lists. And I do like that there's a a little more diversity showing up outside of this kind of consensus top three between PCA, Alcantara, and Davis. It's yeah, good, and there's more coming. Yeah, there's 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 more coming, and hopefully – you know, some of the pitching process, like Caleb Killian, you know, was on Baseball America's top 100 last year going into the year. Hopefully a guy like that can kind of regain his form and find it a little bit uh, next year. And, uh, you know, one name that was also kind of top 100 list or towards the t- them last year, uh, Christian Hernandez, who's very young still and, and not and still has that talent. Uh, I think some sites said, you know, he, they may have been pushing him a little too aggressively in terms of themselves for his ranking, but he he's still kind of in that fringe just outside the top 100, and he he's basically you know 18 years old, so there's right. still a lot of talent there. there there's so a lot a of projectability. Could, that that's a guy we could see at some point make a make a move up the lists. Right, and and some of these publications they do update these lists to a certain degree, or they put out a midseason list. And I think that if you have uh, some or all of these guys have decent seasons and perform like they are expected to projected to, I think you're going to see a lot of these guys moving up or making debuts on the, the, the mid season lists when they come out. So that's definitely something worth watching as we get into the season. And and one more thing I, I do want to say, Keith law was pretty high on the Cubs prospects that didn't keep rank. Uh, he had Kevin Alcantara Al- 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 on his top 30. And he talked about him being a potential superstar. Uh, if he develops. And so I thought that was pretty impressive. I and mean, he still had Brent Davis in his top yeah. 50. So the coast proxies, he did put up high, he put up pretty high. So uh, he, he seemed like a big fan of, of Kelvin, Kevin, uh, Contra. and it's interesting to me, you know, the, the top two Cubs prospects there are, were acquired at the deadline from New York teams uh, being Baez and Rizzo in 2021, obviously. And, you know, I don't think anybody would have thought that Rizzo would have been a guy you were getting like one of your elite prospects for and even, you know, so it's just kind of crazy that that's how it worked out. Nice to see Matt Mervis crack the top 100 for baseball prospectus. Uh, speaking of Anthony Rizzo though, how many years until we see him on marquee five? Four? I just hope he doesn't end up on. Yes. You know, yeah, no, in New York say, for a while. say no to yes, Anthony. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think unless he wins a ring in New York, uh, he probably ends up back here at some point as well. But uh, then again, he got a nice Italian boy play real well on the Yes Network. But, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully Rizzo does end up back here as well. I think that's a guy we know has a lot of personality, would probably make a great studio guy here and there. So we, we can start that betting pool now is which former 2016, which former World Series winning Cubs end up back on marquee. And it, it is nice kind of that the Cubs have this outlet now where they can straight away bring in kind of whoever they want and they don't have to go through NBC Sports Chicago. They don't have to go through and they have these studio shows that they produce and they can bring in their former Cub icons straight away without having to go through a different network. I, I do hope he comes back. I, I And I think he would be great uh, as well, Anthony Rizzo. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful to, if he, you know, I, I don't want to see him fail, obviously, but, you know, if he retires – in a year or two, I hope that he he does come back and become a part. I mean, I think he will always be a part of the Cubs. So, you know, Mark Grace works for the Diamondbacks, works for the Cubs. Cameron Mabin did work for the Cubs last year, even though he barely played for the Cubs. And he did work for Yes Network. So, uh, you know, guys now, they're working around. So I, I think Rizzo will be always be back and always be around the Cubs. Uh, one thing I did think of, and and I don't, this is a little, not quite off topic, but I did find it interesting that Jed Hoyer the other day, he talked about, I heard him on, talk about him negotiations with Rizzo and how the negotiations left a bad taste in, in Rizzo's mouth. And he, he said that was something he probably will never ever do again is negotiate spring training. Cause he thought it was just a terrible way to start mm-hmm. off the 2021 year. He hated the fact that Rizzo had a bad taste like on opening day. He's like, this is not what we should be talking about. We should. Well, and so he always wants, he wants to move that up more. So if, if that's the case, Jed, you, you better hurry on getting that Nico and or half extension done. If you don't want it to be done during spring training, time's running out. Don't think it's coming for Ian, maybe Nico, uh, but that's an interesting observation there, Jeremy. And I, I don't think long-term it's going to pose any problems. There's no question in my mind Anthony's going to be very active and very visible around Wrigley Field. Uh, but good for him, too, that he's uh, had a nice end here to his career in New York, and he's got a chance at another World Series. But he'll be around Wrigley plenty. Last week, we had my nephew Colin uh, call into us here and give us a couple of trivia questions, and we got him. It took a team effort, but two questions. We got both of them right. Randall, a little bit jealous, I think, that Colin got the spotlight, wants his own trivia question tonight. So what do you have for us, Randall? Well, absolutely. I, I can't live up to Colin last week, who, of course, did a fantastic job. But uh, I'm going to try. This will be real quick. It is just one question. According to the Twitter account Codify Baseball, who I'm guessing went through a whole lot of pitch data to come up with this list, they published the, they tweeted this list of uh, where each team ranked in the number of strikes thrown, swinging or looking, that came in at 98 miles per hour on the radar gun, and your Chicago Cubs of the 2022 season perhaps understandably finished dead last with exactly two, two pitches the entire season, the entire 2022 season, thrown at 98 miles per hour or higher. And so the trivia question is simple. Which Cubs pitcher or pitchers is or are responsible for throwing these two pitches at 98 miles per hour or higher? Well, first off, I want to say what an embarrassing stat for the Cubs and the good. roster construction last year. That's, that is abysmal. What was the second lowest? That is a fantastic question. Two. While the two I of bet you it was are, a lot higher than two. While the two of you are percolating your answers, I will look that up. I got one player in mind, but he wasn't with the team a ton last year, and he was hurt. And part of the concern with him is his velocity was down a little bit. The guy I'm thinking of is Manny Rodriguez. All right. As, so you know, a- he's a high-velocity guy, and I could see him. But I feel like the narrative around him last year was 
Davilo was dipping and he was battling injuries. So that's the doubt in my head. What about you, Jeremy? So I do want to say I definitely saw this tweet. And I think I saw who the answer was, like, oh, aired, but I'm not 100% confident. So I wanted to let you go first. Uh, but I did. Then I definitely read an article about stuff the day after on by, you know, Saris and and uh, about, you know, and this guy ranked very high on stuff plus, which uh, of four seam fastballs, which was, you know, looks like the top five pitchers in baseball, or at least top eight, uh, right around Jacob DeGrom. So I'm going to guess Jeremiah Estrada, who, he, you know, Sarah Stakes might be the closer but for the Cubs by the end of April because of how good his fastball is. Hmm. All right. So we have a registered guest of uh, Miguel or Manny Rodriguez from Rodin. We have a registered guest of Jeremiah Estrada from Jeremy. This one goes to Jeremy. Both of those pitches were, in fact, thrown by Jeremiah Estrada in his major league debut on August 30th. They were both thrown in the same inning, uh, and that was it. That was it for the season. That was August 30th was the first and the last pitch thrown at 98 miles per hour by a Cubs pitcher. Ronan, to answer your question, here's your bottom five. Uh, Boston with 45 the entire season. Oakland with 44. Toronto with 42, the team against whom Jeremiah Estrada made his major league debut. Arizona with 14 in the number 29 spot, and then your Chicago Cubs dead bleeping last two the entire season, 30 out of 30. Not the kind of 30 for 30 you want the Cubs to be involved in. No, no, not at all. And I, and I will say, I, I did see that tweet, and I think I saw Jeremiah Shroud before before I even read this here. So um, I, I, I it was in the back of my head, so I'm not going to really take credit for that. But uh, I Jeremiah Shroud got amazing stuff, apparently, and hopefully, you know, he could be a big part of the bullpen coming into this year because apparently his fastball is elite. Yeah, well, there is a question. Who's going to close games for the Cubs this year? Who's going to be that guy? Randall had a mouthful of burgers. That's what I'll call it last week, trying to get I out Brad's name. I He's a, a possibility. Whole, I had a whole box of burgers. But uh, it, it's it's a really it's going to be a battle, and we've talked about it on the show that the bullpen is probably going to be a small concern for the Cubs. Like I'm far more worried about what the starting rotation is going to be like. I mean, the offense is the real concern that I have. Where is the power going to be coming from? How are the Cubs going to score runs when Eric Hosmer is playing first base, and in Randall's dream, Nick Madrigal is playing third base? But beyond that, bullpen's going to be fine. It's just I don't know who's going to be in that role yet, and maybe spring training will give us a little bit of a taste. Yeah, it's not much of a dream. Realistically, though, it, it will probably get resolved with a couple of different players giving a shot at it in April and May. Somebody gets hot, and then they hang on to it for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Yeah, it tends to work itself out. But those yeah. early early season games, you know, you'll, you'll see guys using all different roles and then, you know, they'll figure out their kind of what role they're good at, but there are some, there are some arms in the bullpen that, that are interesting arms and, and can be effective in, in certain places, it, you know, Brandon Hughes, obviously a guy who came in last year from the left side who looks pretty good. Um, So I, I am excited and I'm not totally down on the bullpen. One thing that, that Jed has kind of proven uh, the last couple of years is he's done a very good job of just kind of building bullpens from, you know, guys he claimed on waivers, guys come up. So, like, the last two years, the Cubs bullpen has been really good, actually. And so I, I kind of have confidence in Jed's ability and the, and the pitching infrastructure ability to put together a good bullpen out of all different kind of parts. And we all through last year, as we were going through our prospect corner, so often we came up with these guys who are in double A AA or triple A who throw hard in short relief. Not all of them worked out. Some of them aren't even in the organization anymore, which is the nature of 
minor league relievers, but the Cubs have a lot of guys at the mid to upper levels in that niche. And, you know, you can keep throwing these guys at the wall and seeing who sticks. Um, so as, as far as, you know, guys with velocity in the bullpen who you can call upon from the minor leagues, the Cubs have plenty of those. And I think Randall is hinting that we need to see Sanders in Wrigley. In yes. I'm not against it. He throws, he throws triple digits out of the bullpen and yeah, I'm not against seeing a, a Sanders taking the mound at Wrigley field. I'm probably never going to get to. So at least there can be a Sanders who gets to, well, his father did. So it has happened. Okay. So it has happened. Scott Sanders. It, it, yes, I was hoping you'd throw in the name there for Sorry. you know anybody who might be wondering uh, who are you referring to. But yes, uh, I'm on board with Cam, and I do hope we see him at Wrigley Field next season. Last week, we talked about minor league teams. We were referencing the fact that the Hickory Crawdads from time to time next year will refer to themselves as the Hickory Dickory Docks. And that led us into, there's great minor league names. There's teams, uh, when you look at minor league baseball, some teams take the name of the parent organization. You see that all throughout the Cubs, the South Bend Cubs, the Iowa Cubs, but then you've got minor league affiliates within an organization with unique names. Now, this whole segment is just geared for Randall. So I want to start with you, Jeremy. Give me a minor league team that jumps out at you, a name you like, a logo, something that you think is pretty cool for a minor league affiliate. Well, I'm going to be biased here and be and go to a minor league team that I kind of, I'm not going to say I grew up around, but they have, fond memories of growing up and seeing a play. I always thought the Quad City River Bandits or the Quad Cities River Bandits as they are now. I thought River Bandits was a very cool name. I always liked their logo, their old school logo. Uh, they used to have like the bandana with on a baseball. I always thought that was cool. And so for me personally, I think the River Bandits, you know, you're on the Mississippi River. I think that's a cool name, River Bandits. And, it, you know, so I, I I saw some great players play there too, Joe Maurer. So uh, that's, that's a name I'm biased towards. Were you upset when they had the couple of years there where they were the swing and not the River Bandits? Because they went back to the River Bandits, but for a number of years there, what, 15, 20 years ago, they were the swing of the Quad Cities. I imagine that didn't sit well with you. Yeah, I, I want to say that was from 2004 to 2007, I believe. I actually looked this up the other day. Um, and so the swing of the Quad Cities, kind of a weird name, kind of, you know, it had they had uniforms that were kind of funky I just liked the river bandits. So for me, it was always kind of like, yeah, I was upset when they changed it because I didn't like the change. Um, you, if you look at that era though, they are kind of interesting. And then when they changed it back, they, I don't know if it was a trademark deal or whatever, but they were before they were the quad city river bandits. And now they're the quad cities river bandits. So mm -hmm. you got plural on that. So uh, not a huge difference, but I definitely like River Bands, the QC River Bands, much more than Swing of the Quad City. It kind of gives you a, a Muddy Ducks of Anaheim feel. But when before, <laughs> after Disney sold it, they changed it to the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Swing of the Quad Cities. I know you're not a, a huge fan of the name. The hat was unique, though. It was a powder blue hat, and it had, I want to say, a purple, a red, and a yellow saxophone on it. And, it, you know, just a great, unique minor league hat. But I understand Quad City River Bandits is a, a historic name. It's, it's been the franchise name for many, many years. So I completely understand that uh, that has a more of a more of a, a, an association for you than a swing of the Quad Cities. Uh, so my favorite minor league hat, and there are so many ways you go with this, because there's nothing I love more than minor league logos. Minor league teams, of course, depend so much on merchandise sales. Uh, that, you know, we're, I don't want to call it an arms race because I think that uh, sends the wrong message, but you have these teams that are making more and more outlandish team names. So I could go through a lot of these, but my favorite is a, a defunct 
uh, brand, but that is the Las Vegas 51s. They are now the Las Vegas Aviators. But my first ever minor league hat in the summer of 2004 was a Las Vegas 51 snapback. It had a fantastic logo. It was an alien head, a classic gray alien head. Uh, with baseball stitches uh, on the front of the on the front of the head, and it's just a simple logo. It was a great hat. It was a blue hat, and we we all know I love blue. Uh, just a fantastic brand, the Las Vegas Fifty Ones. They have since rebranded as the Las Vegas Aviators, and I get it. It's just a little generic for me. The Las Vegas 51s were a great brand. It was a great logo. I missed that logo, but I could go so many different directions with this. We talked about the uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas last week. There are the Richmond Flying Squirrels, uh, the the Akron Rubber Ducks. There's just so many funny names, funny animals, funny logos throughout the minor leagues, both affiliated ball and independent ball. The Chicago Dogs, I think, are a fantastic brand. It's simple. It's clean. It's locally relevant. It's food related, which is always great. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with the Las Vegas 51s mm-hmm. as I think the, the my favorite and the one that I missed the most. Yeah, felt like a step down. I think they have a nice ballpark, a much nicer ballpark now, and they may have major league baseball in a couple of years at the way things are going in Oakland right now. But it it felt like a loss when you lose an alien logo in minor league baseball, you're doing something wrong. So maybe we can get one of those to pop up again. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Reno or Reno, uh, Roswell. Maybe they'll get it to why say Reno. Maybe Roswell will get a team. You get a whole thing there. There's were a number of teams that jump out at me. I like when it makes sense regionally like i'm thinking of kern our buddy in east lansing michigan the lansing Lugnuts is a phenomenal name for a minor league team it's relevant to industry there i've been fond of that one for a while then you got the classic ones like the durham bulls perfect name for a team down there but the one that i wanted to highlight here today just down the road for me albuquerque the isotopes a really cool name for the triple a affiliate for the colorado rockies who, for the record, have a nice double-A affiliate in the Hartford Yard Goats. It's a pretty unique name. But I like the Albuquerque Isotopes and something that's cool about their ballpark. And I'm sure it's got a, a corporate name, but I call it Isotopes Park. When you're in the ballpark, they have figurines of Simpsons characters. Homer, Marge, Bart, Lisa, all throughout the ballpark. So you can sit there, watch batting practice, sit next to Homer. It is a Pepsi ballpark, which is minus one point for me. But Albuquerque Isotopes, just an iconic name cool branding and new mexico is a, a wild place so a neat place to put a triple a team and jeremy you mentioned roswell ronan you mentioned new mexico i mentioned alien brands the three of them come together like captain planet uh the roswell invaders play in the pecos league of independent baseball which uh, i had to check to see if they were still active because you know with the the uh, independent leagues you can can never quite be sure but the roswell invaders are i believe four-time Pecos League champions, and they, of course, play in Roswell, New Mexico. The brand isn't quite as strong. It's a, a blue letter R with an alien in the the hole of the R. Um, but I think they do the best they can with what I'm sure is an independent league budget. The colors are navy blue and uh, bright neon green, and the, the jerseys say Roswell on them. It's got the alien as the O. So I feel like they do the best they can. But, you know, if there's a wacky idea out there, chances are somebody has done it at least once. Yeah, Roswell. And, and I like the isotopes, too, because I – you know, Hungry Hungry Hover is a great episode, in my opinion, even though it's kind yeah. of after the, the, you know, the heyday of Simpsons. Just cool. It's fun. And, and when you're in Albuquerque, you got the mountains in the backdrop, it's dry, and you're in Isotopes Park. So one of those things that I think uh, baseball fans, if they ever find themselves in Albuquerque, 
go to a ball game. Let's think local, drink local here. Within the Cubs system, favored minor league team name? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh... I, you know, I well, part of the problem is you have two teams that are named Cubs, so that doesn't help. I do miss, like, you know, like the Boise Hawks and stuff like that, or the Eugene Emeralds. But uh, so, you know, I, 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 for me, I, it's just, I guess the Smokies. I think it, for me, the Smokies, I think it's cool. The Tennessee Smokies, the mountains, that whole aesthetic. So I, I got to go with the Smokies. So I'm going to go with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. Uh, I think that's another, another great animal name and of course the myrtle beach pelicans are just a fantastic brand uh the the name has been around for uh the better part of almost yeah the better part of 20 years plus since 1999 i think that's 20 years i'm not really a math person but just to say that's a great minor league brand they've been around a long time the cubs i think were lucky to affiliate with them when that opportunity came up beginning with the 2015 season and you know it's a real solid kind of brand they work with the the south carolina aesthetic the 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 crescent moon the palm trees um so it's a really strong brand it's a really strong logo it's a great local name because of course what do you think with the beach you think seabirds like pelicans so i will go with the myrtle beach pelicans yeah a pelican by the way vicious creature people think those birds are nice and friendly nothing friendly about a pelican and that comes from someone who lived down in florida for a little bit i'm with you though jeremy um tennessee smokies it's an awesome team name and i like when teams pull like geographic elements into it like the colorado rockies it's a great name for a major league baseball organization so tennessee smokies sort of in the same vein and a nice color scheme as well other side of this is there any minor league team not in the Cubs system, just across minor league baseball that you think has an awful name or just a super boring name. And for the sake of discussion, take out the ones that mirror the major league team names. So the, you know, San Jose Giants, like, yeah, that's kind of boring. But beyond that, is there a minor league name that you think just doesn't quite click or doesn't work for you? Oh, that's a good question. I, I mean, there's obviously a lot of minor league uh, names that are out there. And and for me, I don't know, I... I I, I, for me, a lot of the kind of like funky names that, you know, I, I, they don't really do a lot for me. I always think they're just kind of weird, like going off the, the table. Like I never, like the rock, Randall mentioned the Rocky rocket city trash pass for me. That's just like, most people have no idea what's going on there. I get it's a funky name. I get, but it's just tough for me. So I don't know. I, I, I used to like the West Tennessee diamond jacks. I always thought that was a cool name, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think, like, what is a crazy name? Randall, do you have a crazy name that you don't like? Uh, you know, there aren't really any crazy names I don't like just because I like all the crazy names. Well, I, I think, name. I, I think, you know, in the minor leagues, it, that's the place to go crazy. You, you know, none of, very few of these brands would ever make it in a, a top league because they're so crazy. So I like, I like people, I like brands really going forward in the minor leagues. There is one that I think is just kind of boring. And I think that's the Indianapolis Indians. Um, hmm. I, you know, I think... You you're playing in a city that has a uh, a history of uh, one of the most famous auto races in the entire world. Um, I'm sure there's other things about Indianapolis that are worth maybe a, a, a enshrining in a brand. I feel like you could be a little more creative. You're you know in a major metropolitan area that has one major influence and probably has others. I'm not really an Indianapolis expert, so I'll say the Indianapolis Indians. I feel like they could probably do better. I know it's a a name that goes back a long way, but I feel like you could be a little more creative. Indians, yeah, uh, that that we went, I, we saw the Indianapolis play when, uh, when we went down there to see our boy uh, Trent Hubbard, uh, Trinette Hubbard. Yeah, 
I, it is an iconic name. They've got a beautiful ballpark down in Indy as well. Um, that wasn't certainly top of mind, but I see we're going at with it, Randall. I do want to throw one more honorable mention in here. I do have to shout out the Everett Aqua Sox, another fantastic logo. It's a frog catching a baseball with its tongue. Great colors, light blue, green, dark blue. They are a Mariners affiliate. And uh, the best part is they play in Everett, Washington. And the E in Everett is the famed Mariners trident turned on its side from an M to an E which is just brand synergy at its finest. So I have to throw an honorable mention to the Everett Aquasox, another great logo and another great brand. All right. Anything else? Minor league baseball, Jeremy, you got one more thing to bring us home with. Well, I, I was just trying to think of all the teams and there's one team name that did change their name and, and they did go from a boring name to kind of a crazy, not crazy, but a more name, but I always associate them with the boring name. So I'm kind of disappointed that they, Change their name, and that would be the Omaha Royals. Yes, that's Royals. They're a Royals affiliate, but they were the Omaha Royals for a long time. They had the they played Rosenblatt. They had the Royal uh, on the scoreboard. You know, the mock kind of like the, what they had in Kansas City. So for me, when they changed it to the Storm Chasers, I always kind of felt like, oh, that kind of was, uh, you know, a legacy that was kind of changed. So the Omaha Royals, I'm, I was a little disappointed when they made that change. Well, I will use the final fifteen seconds or so of this segment just to lament the loss of the Kane County Cougars from affiliated minor league baseball. Uh, If you grew up in the Chicagoland area, you went to some Kane County Cougars games over the years. I was fortunate to have an internship with them back in the undergraduate days. Some of the most fun I had in a summer, certainly in college, was going out to the ballpark every day back when they were an Oakland affiliate. So uh, I, I... that one burns still, right? And maybe down the road, they can fix up the ballpark a little bit, find themselves back in affiliated ball. But King County Cougars, what an awesome experience that was growing up. Absolutely. I think everybody, like you said, who grew up in this area went to at least one or two Kane County Cougars games in their time. We've been out there a few times with our good friend Ryan, who lives out there along the Fox River. Uh, But they were lucky to land in an unaffiliated independent league. Uh, I've I've seen people out that way um, wearing Cougars gear. So I think that brand is still going strong. The team is still solvent. Um, They were lucky to land in an independent league. And now they get to claim the Chicago Dogs as a regional rival. They do play in the same independent league now. And so they have that fun little, um, I guess you call it like the I-90 or yeah, ID8, whatever, whichever, uh, whichever tollway will get you out there the fastest. It's kind of in the middle, but uh, yeah. So they, they at least landed on their feet as cats do. And uh, a lot of teams weren't quite so fortunate. Well, changing gears here, I saw something on Reddit today that made me laugh, and it's perfect for what we're going to talk about here last on the show. Um, Users that play the video game MLB The Show were lamenting some of the loss in unique features maybe that the game has had over the last couple of years. And the screenshot that they used was, I guess they did away with it this year, is as you would play in postseason series, they put graphics on the field that say, you know, divisional series, championship series, world series. And for a number of years, uh, they would put the year of that divisional or championship series. So if you were playing a road to the show and it was the 2040 season, the graphics would say 2040 championship series. They did away with that. So the screenshot was the Oakland Coliseum and said the 2069 championship series at the Oakland Coliseum. And I was laughing like, wow, it's 2069 and the A's have still not resolved their ballpark situation. Part of that is believable, but it also comes to mind that Oakland is reaching a breaking point here in figuring out what they're going to do with the athletics. Their lease in Oakland is up in 2024. They are talking with Las Vegas about potentially moving a team there. We saw the Raiders, of course, move from the North Bay over to uh, Las Vegas. 
Nevada told the A's, though, no new taxes for a ballpark. So they're not going to get the handout or the gimmies that the Raiders got. The question I have for you guys, how does this end? Is there a situation here that you think where Oakland retains the athletics or are we going to see the A's in the next two, three years pivot to the desert? You know, the A's have spent so long trying to move to different sites in Oakland, on the waterfront, elsewhere in the city. And it just hasn't transpired where they've gotten what they've wanted, what they claim they need. I think it ends with them moving. I do. And I do think it ends with them eventually ending up in Vegas. I think they find a way around the no due taxes. Either the state finds a a way to give another way to give them money or the owner just ponies up and builds a stadium. But I do think they end up moving there. Uh, And we know the league has a vested interest in this getting resolved because they would like to expand, but they are not going to do that until Tampa and Oakland resolve their ballpark situations. And I think the league is perfectly content to say, stay with the new ballpark or move. We don't care, but get it resolved. Uh, So I do think it ends with them moving. And I do think it ends with them moving to Vegas following uh, an expansion NHL team and a relocated NFL team. And I I think that's how it ends. And a the NBA team. Eventually. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I find it funny. I would find it funny if they do end up moving to Vegas and they just end up back in the Raiders' shadow after all those years of complaining about being in the Raiders' shadow and, and the Raiders ruining, you know, the Coliseum when they came back, Mount L. Davis and all that stuff. I don't know how this ends. I, I it's really tough because I just feel like they're almost they're not vagabonds because they're not moving around, but they're just kind of, you know, in this tough situation. First of all, like nobody wants to pay public money for a new stadium for them. Most stadiums in these areas have been privately financed. Like most stadiums in the Bay area have been privately financed. The Raiders stadium, they built themselves. Uh, They did spend, you know, the the city did uh, Vegas did spend, I think for the hockey stadium, but that was a while ago. And I don't know if they're really well willing to spend again. So to me, I almost kind of feel like they're kind of stuck in this kind of limbo. And I know they don't want to play more games in the Coliseum when their lease is coming up. I just feel like they're going to end up extending more time in the Coliseum, you know, for a long time, they were looking at doing the San Jose, but the Giants would never let them go to San Jose. So I don't know how it resolved. I do think at some point, like I could see them selling the team. Uh, I believe Wolf and, and Bean and who all own it, uh, them selling the team. And I and I, I think maybe a new ownership could come in, maybe bring some more money into the organization, uh, and they can get something done. And maybe that's the way it resolves itself. I, I just, I, I just, I feel like it's just going to be kind of this. Like they could be going to Las Vegas and trying to use Las Vegas to get something out of Oakland or California, but uh, I don't. I honestly don't. I don't know how this is going to resolve. I I think they're just going to be stuck in the Coliseum for a while. And of course, Jeremy makes sixty nine. That's right, yeah, twenty sixty nine. Jeremy makes two excellent points. Of course, uh, one is that you know the the, the A's aren't going to leave in twenty twenty four. They'd have nowhere to leave to, and building a new ballpark is slow business. Even once you get everything finalized, it still takes you two to three years to build the ballpark. So the A's, of course, are not leaving when that lease is up in 2024. They'd have nowhere to leave to. But again, I do think it ends with them moving. I do think it ends with them moving to Vegas. Um, now, something, you, Ronan, you you ask us, is baseball viable there? And I do think it is. But I do think, at least in the initial part, they're going to run into what the Raiders are complaining about, which is that so many of their ticket sales are going to road fans. And I think that's something that kinds of kind of comes with going to Vegas. See, I don't think Vegas is going to be viable for baseball. It's one thing for football where you've got eight to nine weeks out of the year where you get a bunch of dudes together and you say, hey, let's go to Vegas. We're going to hit the casinos. and oh, we'll go see the Bears get smoked on Sunday. It's different for baseball when you're playing every single day from April into October. And, and I don't know that 
enough people are going to be willing to travel in the midweek in April to go see a baseball game between, you know, the Kansas City Royals and the Las Vegas A's. So I'm less convinced that Vegas is a viable baseball city. It's going to work for football. I think the NBA is going to be fine there. I don't know that baseball has a home there. Now, that's a good point, but I will say this. An MLB team is going to welcome in a lot more road teams than an NFL team will over the course of a schedule. And not only are you welcoming in the AL West teams multiple times, you're welcoming in every other AL team once, and now you're going to be welcoming in half the National League once over the course of a season. I think there's a lot of room for the the Vegas Athletics to become this destination team where the where fans from Boston or New York, Chicago, anywhere else are timing their visit. And of course, if the series doesn't fall on a weekend, that puts a damper on that. But there's going to be a lot of series that do fall on weekends. And that's going to be a lot of opportunity for Yankees fans or Red Sox fans or Cubs fans even to go out there if it does fall on a weekend and take in Vegas and all the things you do in Vegas while taking in a ball game. So I completely understand your point, but I think the sample size is much bigger with an MLB schedule and I think can kind of compensate for that. I, I, I actually, I agree with you, Ronan. I, uh, and I, I thought you were going to ask this uh, too as well. And and for me, I was always going to be like, I, I don't think baseball really does work in Vegas because of the long schedule, the everyday thing. I, I think that's a detriment to it working. And especially you have to see where they're going to build the ballpark too. Um, you know, cause T-Mobile arena, the hockey stadium or, and, and other, those are kind of by the strip. So like you can just walk from the strip to T-Mobile arena. It's very easy. So any, any visiting fan or any person that's in Vegas, it's like, you know, what am I going to do tonight? Maybe I'll, yeah, I'll just take in a hockey game or something. And it's right there that, that, you know, you can just do that. If the baseball stadium is like in downtown Vegas or something, or kind of on the outskirts or who knows where you're not going to get visitors really that are coming in to stay on the strip or gamble or whatever to like go out to a baseball game and for me yeah they're like serious it's every day I, I just i i don't think vegas is the best spot for a professional for a major league baseball team i think there are a lot better locations even if it's a booming growing city and even yeah. if there's been great baseball players that have come from vegas like greg mannix and chris bryan and bryce harper and joey gallo but uh i i just i i'm kind of with you i just don't see that like kind of it being the tourist the stop uh baseball game so here's a question for the two of you. Let's say we concur that the A's are going to relocate. We know an expansion franchise doesn't come until after these situations get sorted out. Where do the A's relocate to? What city is is willing to give them money and build them a ballpark and welcome them in? Well, I don't think they're relocating. I think they're going to find a way to stay in Oakland. So, Jeremy, I'll let you answer that first, and then I'll if you feel they're going to move. Otherwise, I'll go into why I think they're going to stay. No, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. I think they're going to stay in the Bay Area. I think I kind of think they're kind of using this Vegas situation as leverage to try to work out something in Oakland. I, I, I even though they're saying they're focused on it, I think that I don't know. I, I, I you would think they would try to stay on the West Coast. I'm not sure where on the West Coast or I mean, maybe Portland could be an option. But uh, I, I just feel like, as I said before, I feel like they're going to be caught in some limbo. And so I don't think this can be resolved for a long time. Uh, Jeremy, no one has ever used another city for leverage, and I look forward to seeing everyone at when the Cubs play at Wintrust Stadium out in Rosemont, because we all know leverage, it's, it's not a real thing. I, I think the A's are going to find a way to stay in Oakland, and, and Oakland has lost everybody else. They lose you know, Vegas, 
takes in the football team. San Francisco takes in the Warriors. They have a brand new arena just down the park from where the Giants play. So you've got land around the Coliseum. I mean, if you tear that thing down, you still have parking lots surrounding the place and other locations across the city. Oakland is a very good baseball city. And unfortunately, terrible ownership and a horrific ballpark situation People of our generation might not realize that, but look at attendance in the late 80s. They had great baseball teams. They had a very high payroll in Oakland. Baseball is very viable there. And I think long-term, Oakland is going to, I think Oakland as a city is going to be in better shape 20 years from now than it was 20 years ago. So I think it's trending in the right direction. They've got to find a way to make it stay there. Um, And to your point uh, a moment ago, Randall, I think the new schedule would actually hurt baseball in Vegas. Because as a Bears fan, how often are the Bears going to play in Las Vegas? Like every four years or so? Yeah, okay, get the guys together. Let's go there on a Sunday and watch a game. The Yankees are going to be in Vegas every year, right? Or National League teams would be in Vegas every other year, and a lot of those falling midweek. So I think that proximity, the frequency of games actually hurts that in the long run because, oh, well, we can't go this year. We'll go in two years. It's not going to be a problem. You don't get that with the National Football League. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the A's are an organization with a ton of history, starting in Philly, going to Kansas City. They've been in the Bay since 1968, and they got to figure this thing out. So I see them staying in Oakland, and uh, I hope it's a pretty cool ballpark that they end up building for the team there, even if there's no tax money going to help them out. Yeah, at at some point, I almost, like I mentioned earlier, I kind of hope somebody kind of comes in and buys them and keeps them in Oakland and kind of saves the organization and says, you know what, we're going to build a stadium here. Um, So that's kind of my dream for them even though they have been like i don't want to because they have had a very smart front office they have been very successful baseball team over the past 20 yeah. years um but yeah i agree with you they have in the past they they used to spend tons of money they used to be among the league leaders so yeah. um they have a, a rich baseball tradition not just in the late 80s but also going back to the mid 70s they were uh, exactly seventies. Yeah. they were a fantastic baseball team and I misspoke a moment ago. I said North Bay. It's really East Bay more than anything. But, you know, I go to San Francisco every couple of years, and it tends to be a foggy trip. So you, Northeast, it kind of gets all uh, messed up there. And I'm not talking about the weather. Uh, all right, next week, we have got a very special guest coming out on the show. We're looking forward to this. Sean Holland from Cubs Insider is going to be joining us. You can find him on Twitter, at STH85. He's a great Cubs fan, very vocal, and covers the team, like we said, for Cubs Insider. He's got his own podcast as well. And Randall was a guest on that podcast just a couple of years back. So we're looking forward to bringing him on and talking some baseball with him. Uh, Speaking of Twitter, I also wanted to note, we are so happy to see our buddy Stan Miller back on Twitter. He took a little bit of time off, understandable. He's back at Milbo 11, and man, he is dropping music racks left and right. So having a lot of fun chatting with Stan. One thing that I liked, though, about his exodus from Twitter is he popped up on Instagram, and I don't watch much NBA basketball, but I got updates on whether the Bulls won or lost, depending on the image that he posted on Instagram. And when the Bulls lost, Benny the Bull face down on the court. I'm like, oh, man, something went wrong for the Bulls tonight. So I do miss that, but it's good to see him back on the Twitter. Benny the Bull, one of the, the great mascots. And uh, Stan, one of our great listeners and one of our great followers. Stan, like Ronan said, it is great to see you back. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. And like I said, we're back next week with Sean Holland. So we'll see you then as we inch closer to spring training.